<laughs> and then at one point, uh, at, at one point, Dane Cook asks him, he's like, well, what's sex without love? And he shouts in his weaselly voice, sex! It's still sex! <laughs> I can almost imagine the producers at Warner Brothers watching that scene and just <laughs> stroking their chins, just like, gentlemen, he's perfect. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Talking During the Movie, the show where two jackoffs talk about new movies and movie news. I am James. And I'm Mike. And this is episode number 63, Good Luck, Mike and James. And we don't even know if this episode is ever going to be published. That's why we're wishing ourselves luck. Good luck getting the website back up, good luck completing this episode, with your sanity intact, good luck. Uh, I mean, just good luck, man. Good, good, rough, good luck. Good luck to you. Uh, we all need some good luck. It's a rough year. Yeah, so I just, like five minutes before we started recording, I went to talkingdurinthemovie.net. Great website. You should go there. And I've never heard problem, of it. Problem loading page is what I'm getting. Uh, apparently, uh, Mike's I, also getting that, so. I am, Yes. But we're already here. We got microphones in front of us. You know, and besides, if we're talking to nobody, what's the real difference? Hey. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, I'm sad. Right in the, right the self-esteem. <laughs> uh, and hey, we also are, have a pretty um, uh, schizophrenic episode, bipolar episode. That's, um, wow, who else can you offend with that? I'm going to, like, a fat episode. I don't know. <laughs> a palsy a poor, episode? A poor I mean, episode. <laughs> uh, manic. I think manic is probably the, the better term. Because we're great. reviewing um, uh, part one of five of Studio Wants to Make More Money Off of Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts, and Where to Find Them. What? Uh, and we're also <laughs> reviewing off, sorry, reviewing uh, potential awards contender a- A24 Moonlight, which I mean, it's only the most acclaimed film of the year, far and away so far. It and actually is the most acclaimed film of the year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, according to Metacritic, one of the most acclaimed films ever. Yeah, yeah. I think that it was sitting at a hundred for a while, and then there's some detractors. I, I, uh, who led Armand White onto onto <laughs> Metacritic? Oh no. For the record, I don't think it was Armin White, but... Uh, Look for the and, one critic whose name is an anagram of Armin <laughs> But because it's relevant, we're doing <laughs> Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, because it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of our show, we're actually going to do that, like, first, you know? Like, uh, yeah. get it just sort of out of the way, and then we're going to talk about all the awardsy shit. So if you're just here for the mainstream, we get we get, got what you need in the first course, Feel free to eat and leave. Uh, stick around afterwards, though, because there's great shit for this okay, entire episode. Look at it like this: you can you can stick with the mainstream, or you can go for the main stream. Ooh, yeah. I don't even get it. I mean, <laughs> I don't either. I tried. <laughs> you know, like the main part of our streaming podcast. Oh, they, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, see, there it is. That was actually that was actually pretty good. Mike yeah, Lydon, you dog. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. This is what happens when no one's listening. We just jerk <laughs> each other off. 
<laughs> That's hey, look, it's true to our, true to our name. I yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I guess it is. There you go. It's right in the intro. The show where two mutual masturbators talk about new movies <laughs> and movie news. You can listen to them if you want to, but <laughs> really, they're having fun either way. <laughs> and how true is that, actually, though? Uh, I, yeah, that's that. That's that's yeah. That's pretty much it. That's the, that, that defines our show. Um, <laughs> there you have it. Um, yeah. I still though I I do like to imagine the wreckage of society, you know, and and some sort of alien race is going through the ruins and just <laughs> deep in there they pull out a server and on that server for some reason is nothing but our talking during the movies podcast and somehow members of this alien society find a way to listen to our podcast and we will live on through <laughs> We, should, we said some shit on this podcast too. So, <laughs> <laughs> what's it like? Translate English. By the way, have you seen Arrival? No, that's next. Okay, yeah, yeah. We we should in, definitely. In fact, talk we about should probably. In fact, we should probably do that next week. Yeah, we we should do that. I've seen like everything, so really just see something. And I've seen, I'm I'm up to 104 <laughs> movies this this year. So. Jesus fucking Christ! Yeah, I uh, I've been out of commission. I just moved, um, but that's pretty much actually done so what do you now. Like, one hundred two, one hundred one. No, I'm fucking with you, dude. Oh, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> God, no. Uh, I uh, uh, moving sucks. I have, but I, I moved and now I have faster internet. So, um, we th- things are going to go smoother and uh, yeah. So now I'm back. I'm I'm over my post-election blues, not really, but I'm trying. And uh, uh, yeah, back to right, we go back to the movies. And here we are. What a weekend it is! What a what a uh, strange weekend with Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, and Moon. Oh uh, yes. But first, was let's it? start with the Fantastic Beasts. But was it fantastic? Was it beastly? And did we find them? Well, I did find them. They weren't that fantastic, I, I, and I'm speaking that I'm speaking strictly in terms about of the beasts, creature design. It could have been better. Yeah, um, you know, I want to start with something I didn't know going into this, and when I heard they were going to make it five movies, I had to. I repeated a pretty ignorant sentiment that I didn't realize was so ignorant, and that's that there was only one book. So how are they making five movies out of it? It's like The Hobbit when they made three movies out of The Hobbit, and that was only one book. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, however, any I'm a big sense. fucking idiot because the <laughs> Fantastic the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them book is actually, although the inspiration is not the source material of the movie Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the no, Fantastic fact, Beasts and Where to Find Them book is actually like the, a fictional textbook it, it, right. written it's by the main text- character, written by Newt Scamander. Scamander, yes. Um, I keep wanting to call him Salamander. I'm pretty sure that's intentional. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, a new, new Salamander? I don't know. I thought they were. I thought they were actually calling him like Messus Commander <laughs> at first. <laughs> <laughs> like suddenly he's two wow. people. He's a commander, and they're in France. I, I, that's all I got. <laughs> I, I didn't know we were watching Split this early. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Yeah, the thing is, I didn't know until after I saw the film that it was going to be 
a five-part series. Five parts. Because, because, and I was really surprised to hear that. Not, not because I am surprised they're going to keep milking the Harry Potter franchise until they can't anymore. That's just a given. They're going to keep making Harry Potter films. And honestly, I was okay with that because it seems to, to me, it seems like the trend with franchises is moving away from linear sequels and towards universes, right? You just, you get cinematic universes now. That's just the thing to do. And it, you know, generally has mixed effects, but the, you know, with that, at least, you know, if you have a dud uh, come out, you can just basically disregard it for the, the next installment and be fine and kind of keep rolling along. It's, it's smart financially and the audience won't get sick of the characters. Yeah, yeah, yada. The thing with uh, Fantastic Beast, though, is that uh, these, like, everything about this film seemed one off to me. It seemed like a single serving Harry Potter story. <laughs> like, everything seemed kind of low stakes. Um, the, the characters were really, like, kind of vague and undefined. And I can't really imagine spending four more movies with them. Um, and I, I don't know. Everything about it just kind of seemed uh, like an excuse to highlight, uh, like, you know, this extra little dimension of the universe away from Harry Potter, but not really to tell this new comprehensive story uh, completely separate within this own universe. I, I honest to God do not see how they're going to stretch the story out into five movies. Yeah, I mean, and it's going to be really hard to to not to do so well not offending the complex continuity of the i mean the seven <laughs> Harry Potter movies and all the details i mean they've already they've introduced at least one character in Fantastic Beasts which i think is a spoiler so we'll save that for like 5 minutes yeah yeah <laughs> um who was actually mentioned and tied in with the with the the canon 7 of Harry Potter right. so um, they're gonna have to tread carefully, but I don't. Th- I think that I don't think that's gonna be the biggest uh, issue there. And it's it's funny the way we're talking about this movie because it's also it's sort of what I think. What well the conceptually it's similar to Star Wars Rogue One, or which I shouldn't call it Star Wars Rogue One. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that to best right, bed right now. So you can call it Rogue One, and you can call because it. I- Rogue, Rogue One, one a Star, Star Wars story, story. <laughs> because those are the titles. You, you can call uh, it not, however, Star Wars Rogue One. So, uh, whatever. Um, Come on. I know. I keep saying it anyway, and I probably will. But know that I'm trying not to. I'm trying to quit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very it's similar in concept to uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, in that there is exists this canon universe of which it is a part, but it is a one-off story that will hopefully be complete in its own right um still over the moon with excitement for that movie over the moonlight with excitement for that movie so um oh wow that crossed. would be great if we were segueing <laughs> i know right <laughs> i'm fuck i messed it up <laughs> not even close <laughs> and now we're gonna review moonlight i can't waste a segment <laughs> a segue no, no fuck it we're doing it <laughs> <laughs> no um but yeah, you're right. And this would be like if they took if next year we got Rogue One two, right? A Star like Wars sequel, right? And honestly, I feel like I wouldn't just based on the trailer. The characters from Rogue One 
seem like great additions to the Star Wars universe. It seems like I'll remember them. I feel <laughs> like true. I'll, I've also heard many stories basically headlined. Let's face it. All these characters are going to die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. But also, isn't that great? You can you can have a film where main characters die and actually give it some stakes. I mean, the, the thing is, you know, you, you know, the final results, you know, that whatever happens, the rebels are going to get the Death Star plans. But that's not really what people care about. They attach, they affix themselves to the humans and the, you know, they affix themselves to the characters. They identify with them and that's the reason they go to the film. So if you're actually concerned about their safety, I mean, that's something that most blockbusters just can't deliver on. So if they can actually play with that, uh, that's fucking awesome. That's great. Well, yeah, I mean, fuck blockbusters. It's the same thing we saw with like a movie like Zero Dark Thirty and, you know, an Oscar darling. We know they get Osama Bin Laden. That's not the point. Um, I, I, I must say I was very disappointed with James Cameron's Titanic because <laughs> I knew I knew the ending before <laughs> before I actually saw it and it ruined the suspense for me. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, is the ship going to sink? Is it not? But I knew it was. No stars. There, there was a... <laughs> it's the future. <laughs> and they're low on gas, but everyone keeps driving around in cars. I don't get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> We've gotten way far away from Fantastic Beasts already. Um, yeah, I know. Um, but the, no, but that, that's the thing, though. And, and fuck, actually, even Mad Max, like, you still kind of knew as much as Mad Max, you know, defied the typical conventions of the action blockbuster genre. You kind of knew that Mad Max wasn't going to die. You pretty much knew that Furiosa wasn't going to die. You pretty much assume good guy wins and then go from there. Yeah. I mean, it can only do so much and that's fine. But I mean, man, if they, (laughs) I'm just saying they could, they could really fuck the audience up with that. And, uh, I hope they do. I, I like I like being fucked up as a movie as a movie goer. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about this movie in and of itself, rather than what it will be doing in the future. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I will say about about Fantastic Beasts is that this is one of the first movies I've seen where uh, Eddie Redmayne's like lack of eye contact simpering. It actually seemed to work for the character he was playing. Uh, this sort this of is... socially awkward person who just sort of like mutters and is uh, unassuming. This was who the... I who well, it's not really I, who I imagined Newt Scamander to be because I didn't know Newt Scamander as a person or character, if fictional or otherwise. But it, it seems to me that. Now, having seen the movie, I wouldn't want that character to be any other way. I um, this is this is uh, my favorite performance of Eddie Redmayne's. <laughs> I'm saying, <laughs> um, and that's more a testament to how much I generally don't like Eddie Redmayne than as to necessarily how great the performance was. But I actually think he was like pretty ideal casting. Um, you know, if if, if there is. Anyone who can pull off a um, like, I, I actually look, look to put it like to, to be fair, I didn't know that he could play this. Uh, it, it's the least theatrical he's ever been, right. uh, yes. in, in a film from what I've seen, and um, 
good. <laughs> like it actually kind of allows me to see what the fuss is about a bit more. Um, you know, I still kind of find him a little bit grating as an actor, but when he's not constantly trying to win an Academy Award and he can just kind of like, you know, exist as his character, I actually, like, I just, I bought him as Newt's commander. It didn't seem false to me or, you know, it, he, he, he embodied that character really well. My problem with it is that I don't feel like the film really allowed me to get a great sense of who that character is, except that he likes beasts and he keeps them in his suitcase. And he cares about them. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, everything else is just kind of like a general British stereotype. Just, like, you know, but no, it's, like, just bumbling and, you know, uh, I, I don't know, kind of like a, almost like a little tramp-like character. But just, there's not, I, I don't know, that, that I think, maybe boils down to my uh, biggest problem with Fantastic Beasts, I think. I just really, I've completely forgotten about every single one of the characters well, you <laughs> since know, I, I think- saw it. I think the coolest character, though, was played by uh, Dan Fogler, who... Pro- probably, yeah, but... And, and the saddest part about that is that I'm probably never going to see that character again in subsequent films. <laughs> the, the thing is, I, I agree. I walked out of that and I'm like, well, that was my favorite character. And then uh, the the my, my friends who I saw it with, they're just like, yeah, but what, what was his character? And I'm like, well, he had really funny reactions to things. <laughs> he did... He did really good facial acting, but he spent most of the film like, I mean, I mean, he he spent most of the film kind of uh, under the influence of <laughs> some some venom or another, and uh, I mean, essentially served as the, you know, the human, you know, the 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 character that you get in every single, you know, fantasy or sci-fi film where you know they are a blank slate and they go into a situation and need to have everything explained to them so then the audience can get exposition without it seeming too clunky or out of nowhere. Um, you know, he he served that purpose narratively, and I'm not sure other than providing some pretty great comic relief, um, largely with just his face, which I, seriously. Why is he not in more movies? I'm telling you, because he was in Good Luck Chuck. God. That's why. (laughs) Jesus. Like, I was really surprised to see him in this, to see him playing a character like Jacob Kowalski in a Warner Brothers family movie (laughs) after seeing him in a movie like Good Luck Chuck. And fucking Balls of Fury was his next one after that. Oh, my God. See, the thing is, we talk about, like, comedy films not utilizing visual gags enough i i think that just as much uh can be said about their uh, like the lack of actual comedic actors who can be funny with just a, a facial expression yeah i mean and there's and, definitely ways to take that to a, a negative extreme and i i think back to like earlier this year with ghostbusters and you look at 50 percent of kate mckinnon's comedy it's just her mugging and but yeah I think the difference is that it's not it wasn't accompanied by anything like the joke was that she was making a funny face you know whereas right. I think in, in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them the funny face sort of accompanied a joke that was already there yeah yeah right it was just kind of a it was you know it was a, a an added flourish as opposed to being the, the focus of, of the scene exactly thank um, you you, you yeah. putting that in a more articulate way to show how much yeah, more intelligent yeah. you are yeah 
uh, uh, um, I'm the better critic. <laughs> uh, I would never say I would never say that, James. It's, it's delusional. Um, <laughs> I agree. Um, I, I guess he's also there to be the love interest. Yeah, you know, he definitely <laughs> added some love to it. Although that wasn't, I mean, Newt's commander and uh, uh, Tina, I think. Um, oh yeah, that, I mean that kind of. They also came. had something. Although Zoe Kravitz well, no, was also see, there for a hot minute. <laughs> see, that was one of those things where, at the end of the film, they're they're doing it like and not literally doing it, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that was a post credit scene. There, you didn't. Yeah, I was like, you didn't stay after the. You didn't stay after the credits. Oh man. <laughs> that. That are playing out the the hints of their of their romantic interest. It comes out of nowhere at the end. I'm just like, oh, they're they're going for it. They're doing they're doing the the goodbye emotional. Like I mean, look if if, if they were like you know had grown as friends and come together, I, I totally get it. That was completely reflected in the film that preceded. But I just didn't see them as love interests at all. Well, yeah, I mean, and the the whole time, Newt's commander. <laughs> That you you get this these little bits that he's sort of like tortured by this this lost love he had who may or may not be related to Bellatrix Lestrange. She's absolutely is, related to Bellatrix Lestrange, and, and who is played in one one frame, literally a picture frame, by Zoe Kravitz. Strange, the second strangest cameo in the movie. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a distant second though. <laughs> yeah, a distant second strangest uh, um, cameo in the movie. I also. And, I also realized that you said might be related because you probably didn't want to spoil it, and I just kind of yelled it. Uh, it's fine, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah, she's definitely definitely related to Bellatrix Lestrange. Yeah, they have a line. They're like the Stranges, aren't they? A little, yeah. a little strange. Ah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so his that that's sort of made to be his love interest, and whether or not I think they tried to pitch a narrative where he had to sort of let go of that, but there's two problems, and that's that we're not really even really sure what he's letting go of, and uh, B, I don't know if I introduced the first segment of that as A, but if not retroactively, that was A. A this is B. and two, okay, and I I I. <laughs> and b um even if his arc is complete where's where's her story where's tina's story coming to this just like she's throwing herself at the first british guy who walks in the door is that her arc she had a she had a void in her life that only her english muffin could fill um (laughs) english muffin i'm actually more interested in tina's story um, from, you know, before the film started and her, you know, history with the Congress of Magic, I believe it's called. The Yakuza, which sounds yeah. like Yakuza. Yakuza. <laughs> it's it's really shouldn't have done. Yeah, Magical Congress of the United States of America. Yeah. There, there you go, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more interested to see, like, her origin story coming up through the ranks and fighting to, you know, become a part of this magic organization and then completely blowing it and having to, you know, you know, and having to apprehend minor petty magic infringements in order to get back in their good graces. Like that, 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 that's a more interesting story to me, to be honest. I don't, I kind of don't give a shit about (laughs) Newt's commanders 
for lore and love. It's it's just it's kind of thrown in as a device, and it's a cliche. I mean, it's not like it's not like you can throw out a a failed a jilted love uh, and you know expect us to be completely drawn in by that as a huge source of like it's just we've seen that so many times. Yeah, no, <laughs> it, it it just comes off as like you know blatantly lazy. Um, so I want to I, I want to uh, oh sorry did I cut off your point. No, no, no. That was pretty much it. Um, I just, it, like, I, I get. Uh, basically, my point is that them peppering the characters with, you know, these, basically these devices to try and make them more memorable or to, re- you know, have them resonate more with audiences. To me, it, come off, it, it comes off as lazy, and it doesn't, it doesn't do justice to like, to uh, the Harry Potter franchises, like. Uh, kind of renowned for having really cool and colorful and memorable and awesome characters. Even, even the, even the sub, you know, even the minor players and the, like the franchise proper are a, a thousand times more interesting than anyone I met in fantastic beasts. Yeah, definitely. And which brings, brings me to a spoiler territory warning of the, the, the weirdest, the strangest cameo in yeah. in uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And that's, uh, well, Colin Farrell is revealed to be Johnny Depp, who is revealed to be Which is uh, <laughs> Gellert Grindelwald. I bet you that's not a sentence you'd ever thought you'd have to say. <laughs> I know, Colin right? Colin Farrell is revealed to be Johnny Depp. <laughs> Do you remember that story I told you about how I... I was told I was going to Mount Rainier to find out that I, it, it was a trick and surprise I'm actually going to a pumpkin patch oh yeah yeah you told yeah, me that yeah like is there anything wrong with a pumpkin patch no but if you told me I'm going to fucking Mount Rainier that's I, what I'm going to be just, excited about but, 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 but I still have my skis and poles fuck you <laughs> exactly uh, so uh, it, it yeah, also Colin continues Farrell change for Johnny Depp but Johnny Depp is actually this character who uh, Harry Potter fans will know as Grindelwald, who was a childhood friend of Albus Dumbledore, who went on to become a dark wizard, second on the FBI's most wanted list, might as well be, to only to Lord Voldemort. So, mm-hmm. um, I I had a I basically had a bout of deja vu with this villain reveal, um, and. I remember now where I had it, uh, where where that deja vu originates from. Um, I have this. I had the same feeling after I saw Iron Man three, <laughs> which is when I first told you this story. Yeah, <laughs> um, because yeah, exactly. Because it, it much like Iron Man three, they take a much better villain who is more interesting and played by a more talented actor, and just completely throw him away for a hack. Yeah. Look, so, <laughs> someone who is who has shown himself to be uh, chameleonic, but not for any particular purpose, you know? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you can cake yourself in however many layers of makeup you want um, and call yourself chameleonic, but I just... Johnny Depp is not... That's true, yeah. Uh, he is... I don't know. He's got a bad tendency to fall back on on the same quirks again and again. Uh, I 
And just and that's really, I mean, besides the whole, besides what was in the movie that you're right, the character that we had before was, uh, there was a lot more intrigue there, come to find out he's just a, you know, a canonical baddie, you know, a big baddie that we haven't yet explored, um, was, that, that, that was in the movie, that was a flaw, but going forward, can you name me a single Johnny Depp movie that wasn't, as I just said, a Johnny Depp movie? <laughs> I <laughs> he's not a small part in any movie he's in, so that's my no. my biggest like fear going forward is that instead of seeing a movie which I did, you know I did instead of seeing a continuation of a movie that I did find interesting in its ability to explore this a new side of the Harry Potter universe in a way that doesn't feel like fan fiction, even though it kind of is. Um, we're now going to get Johnny Depp movie. <laughs> I, I do have one movie for you, um, but you might not even remember that Johnny Depp is in this, or even have known that Johnny Depp is in this. Um, Tusk. Tusk. I don't. I didn't see Tusk. Oh, do you know of Tusk? I, I know of Tusk. That's a uh, uh, Justin Long and Kevin Smith film, right? Yep. Justin Long gets turned into a walrus. Yes. Yeah. No. I know of. I know the legend of Tusk. Um, Oh, and you know, I did think of another one that he has a small part in. That's Twenty One Jump Street. He has a cameo. The new oh, one. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, I mean, given what transpired with Johnny Depp in his personal life over the summer, they might want to start shopping for a new actor. That's the thing. Like, I'm. It's it's terrible as it is. I'm hoping he gets replaced. If it could be for the betterment of the series going forward, that he gets replaced by another actor who's less assuming, who won't make the movie about himself. I mean, despite any of your efforts to the contrary. Yeah, it's kind of like asking Marlon Brando to play unnamed stagehand number three. <laughs> you know, it's like it's that's a happen. bit of an exact. That's an exaggeration, but I mean, you know, come on, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, um... Yeah, I mean, I've sort of, sort of said, my, said my piece on it, that I just, I think it, it is, it was really interesting that we're exploring this new part of the Harry Potter universe that was mm-hmm. just previously hinted at, and it's answering these questions like, what's this like in America? You know, is is... Hogwarts well, I was Europe really, and Hogwarts yeah. family wizarding folk, that kind of thing. It's like, okay, there's a whole new world there to explore. And they did have some good characters in it, not all of them. So it was sort of enough for me to get by, but now it's going to be Johnny Depp movies. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. I, I like If I were comparing it with the Potter films, it would probably be lowest on the list for me. Um, yeah, probably, yeah. I, I'm just least likely to revisit it, I guess. And that might just be because of, like, it... it you know that's kind of by nature unfair because I'm already more familiar with the Potter, the main Potter characters, and but yeah, I don't know. It, it I liked it more when I, I'm kind of echoing your sentiment here, but I liked it more when it was just going to be a uh, a, a cute way to explore a different aspect of this universe. And obviously, you know, there was going to be some kind of conflict. There was going to be evil magic, whatever. That's fine. Um, but I, it, it's kind of like The Hobbit. It's good when it is... It, this is going to sound awful, but it, 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 it needs to know its place. <laughs> it needs to It needs to just be a small film. Um, reveal this little bit of the Potter universe and move on. Because 
honestly, I just don't see how this story can hold, uh, can maintain interest for another four films. Um, and but it doesn't have to maintain interest. It has to maintain box money returns. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. And people will go to anything with, you know, J.K. Rowling's name on it. So, well, eh, fine. And 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 fine. Like, you know, this was not a this was not a bad film. But I just, you know, it's it, it, knowing what I know now, it seems like franchise overkill. <sighs> well, uh, let's let's move on to our news segment. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Which I don't normally say, um, but. Interestingly enough, uh, despite the last week's episode, I think maybe last week's episode or the, or the episode before that, uh, when we echoed a sentiment of it doesn't really feel like Oscar season yet, our new segment uh, this episode is going to be all about how it really feels like Oscar season now. So uh, these yeah. times they are changing. I have been complaining for you know for weeks because you, you you drew my attention to the fact that we're in Oscar season proper now and I just couldn't fucking believe it. It does not. <laughs> it, it didn't feel like Oscar season. It, it felt like I was st- I was still seeing fucking Doctor Strange just to get you know just just so we could do our show. And uh, I don't know. It, it just felt. It just felt off. It felt like people had forgotten to make movies at a time when I needed it the most. And, <laughs> um, and then, you know, before seeing Moonlight, the, the main film we're going to review today, I was just like hit with realization after realization of diff- various films coming out that I'm incredibly excited for. Uh, I remembered that I got to go see Arrival this week, um, which I've heard nothing but great things about and I'm totally stoked for. And then... Um, you know, I, I remembered, uh, I saw a post for La La Land and I yep. got super stoked for that. Um, I remembered, uh, The Handmaiden and oh, The uh, Handmaiden. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there's Scorsese's Silence coming out. There's, uh, um, Hey, the oh, movie oh. I saw over the weekend. Well, the movie, I saw four movies over the weekend. Uh, <laughs> the Christine uh, about Christine Chebik, that's getting some uh, definitely some awards buzz. So that's right. So it's definitely it's definitely feeling like it, and it also felt like it when I just saw a bunch. Uh, I was looking for news news stories, and I found just a bunch of Oscar conversations this year. Uh, well, about uh, the Oscars this year is happening. Um, great great stuff all, all over the place. A fun, a fun one that I saw was that uh, Sausage Party is is finding it's really campaigning not for not for best animated feature but for best original song for its opening, The Great Beyond. For 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 its oh god, that <laughs> the Disney opening where they well they talk about how it, how it'll it's totally not bad that they're going to be taken away to an unknown world yeah yeah how and the song that was written by eight-time oscar winner alan menken <laughs> oh, God. oh that's right they actually got a disney veteran they actually got him yeah oh my <laughs> God. see that's the kind of that's the kind of effort that i that, that takes it beyond just parody for me 
Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, let's let's do. This. So uh, you know, I and that's a, a movie I considered to only be able to really compete in the best animated feature category, which wasn't really in my mind not really happening. Despite what I think, it, from what I've seen, I think it should be a contender, even though I don't think it will be. Uh, but uh, actually, for for best original song, I think it got a shot. <laughs> I mean. This is kind of one of those instances where I don't really, I can't think of what it's going up against. Um, uh, I would well, assume maybe something against... from, probably something from La La Land. It's, yeah, it's going to be going up against something from La La Land for sure. Um, I think 13th, the uh, song that played over you know, the individual segments, that was an original song and people are talking okay. about that. Also, um, in my mind anyway, uh, a couple of songs from Popstar. Uh, I've also shown up in conversations. Oh, Pops, never um, stop, never stop. And, like, I'm so humble. Um, why isn't Fuck Bin Laden the most popular song in the world right now? Because the movie didn't get seen by anybody. Yeah, there was a... I forget which online reviewer I was watching. Which she's just like, why? There is no conceivable reason why Fuck Bin Laden wasn't as popular, if not more so, than I'm on a boat. I know, really. And... and well, I really love uh, I'm So Humble. I actually have that on like my lo- favorites I, playlist. It's great. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I agree. That's a great one, too. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so... I, you know, th- there are those. I don't... I, I can't even... Best Original Song seems to always be the category that just... There's always one or two entries that just come out of fucking nowhere, and I had no idea that... I had, I had no idea that they were even in the running. Um, so, you know, I'm not even going to try and predict what's going to go on there, but yeah, I actually think I actually will be a little surprised if, uh, if sausage party doesn't at least get a nod for its song. Yeah. I mean, and look, it, it didn't get picked up by Annapurna productions for nothing. At least that's my suspicion. Yeah. Like, Oh, you know, let's just get some swill in the meantime. (laughs) Totally. Um, yeah, no, it, they, I mean, they put, they worked hard on it. I, I've given up the, uh, I've given up hope that it's going to have a chance at the best animated feature. There's just too much other shit to focus on. Um, yeah, I mean, and after seeing movie, a movie like, like Kubo, for example, you know, I'm not even sure it, it would yeah. deserve that title, but do I think it should be in contention? Yes. I don't think it will. Yeah. yeah. That I, uh, that's what I'm saying. I think it'll probably get drowned out by hopefully. Oh, okay, fucking better be drowned out by Kubo. Um, and I, I, by that I mean Kubo better be fucking nominated <laughs> and I put it past those skeevy bastards to not. Well, you know what? It, this actually makes for a good seg a good segue to uh, the the main thing I want to talk about. I know I think you had at least one thing to bring to this awards conversation. I, so yeah. there's definitely going to be room to that, but. Um, it, it reminds me of like everyone knows about uh, Oscar So White as as a controversy that the Oscars are dealing with. That's like their main PR battle right now that they're dealing with. Um, and you know they thought that a movie like The Birth of a Nation would be the the savior, the apology. And but Moonlight is definitely looking like a contender, and it's a mm-hmm. movie featuring i believe in all all african-american or i should say all black cast i don't know that they're african um so another good contender that would help with their pr battle but 
on the opposite end of that is this other PR battle that they're kind of waging, which is on relevance or to waging to be relevant. And that's what I see would be a would actually keep Moonlight from capturing you know major Oscar awards is because while it would it would respect the the Oscar so white controversy and sort of act as an apology for it it would also be a question of what the fuck is Moonlight I've never heard of this movie said random Joe Schmo well, well average Joe Schmo I should say um, because while it actually is doing considerably well for an indie film at the box office it's made about like six million dollars, I think, and sure it'll make more. But this is these are the kind of numbers that don't scream must see. They don't scream everybody has seen it. And year after year, the Oscars ratings are going down, and movies that people have never heard of are going up for best picture and best director and things like that. Movies people haven't seen. So when something wins, people are like, "What?" What's that movie? I'm never going to watch the Oscars again. And it's a real thing. Like, this is, of course, this is a sentiment that I don't agree with. Uh, and I think that these movies are sort of criminally underseen. But they are underseen. And Moonlight, in and of itself, presents an interesting conundrum that I'm interested to see how the Academy navigates. Um, it, so, I am mixed on... I, I'm mixed on this. So... I totally get what you're saying. Um, the Academy Awards are notoriously about maximizing the profit for Hollywood. They, I mean, while maintaining the prestige, they're not going to, they're not going to want to highlight things that don't ultimately benefit Hollywood or aren't ultimately about Hollywood. They're, it, it's a very, it's a very insular uh set of awards it's their industry awards so oh, they're going to want to pick films oh go ahead sorry i put a pin in that i realized i forgot to explain how this transitioned well it, it you reminded me of it because you were talking about kubo as a main contender and my thing mm -hmm. was well not a lot of people saw kubo whereas a lot right. of people saw movies like finding dory and zootopia you know mm -hmm. right. so th those in my mind because of their relevance will have a lot more pull but go on well I mean, no, you're right. And the thing is, they can fill up three different spots this year with with Disney Pixar animated features, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure they could. What, did DreamWorks come out with something this year that might compete? I don't. Man, I uh, okay. Off top of my head. No, no, don't worry about it. I don't either. Um, but the thing is, they they can fall back on these as you know, basically safety nets. But the Academy Awards have been. It, you're right, though. They have been moving away a bit from just the usual suspects sometimes they fall into sit like parody self-parody essentially with something like uh, extremely loud and incredibly close but like <laughs> everything, everything you were describing though for uh regarding moonlight and its prospects almost every single one of those things could be applied to a film like the hurt locker before it was nominated and actually won the best picture award it was i, I think it still remains the lowest grossing best picture winner of all time that's true, and it, um, it definitely it, controversially, although really not really, uh, won over Avatar, which is still the highest uh, movie of all time. So, right, and 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 the thing is, like people, Hurt Locker does have a cultural presence at this point. Like people, even people who haven't seen it, know generally what the Hurt Locker is. They know what 
um, you know, what approach it takes to the Iraq war. They have a good sense of, you know, who was in it and then who directed it. I mean, the Kurt Lucker is a, I don't want to make it sound like a sensation because it's not that widespread, but like people in general, the culture has an understanding of this film. Uh, it, it's not, uh, it, it's actually more memorable than a lot of more successful films that have won the Academy Awards. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's definitely a precedent for them to um, look to something like Moonlight, uh, you know, to, to make it an unexpected star of the evening, particularly if they're, you know, looking to, you know, cover themselves <laughs> from a PR perspective from the accusations that were lobbed against them last year. Um, however, I, I mean, and obviously I take the more meritocratic approach to award season, obviously the best films should get awards regardless of, you know, the, the demographics that go into the making of the films. And I think that a, a lot of what was directed to Oscar so white can be you know, directed to Hollywood as a whole. And that's where the actual problem lies. I've, I've gone on about this ad nauseum. I'm not going to comment on it further, but, um, I might comment well, on it further later, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, but I, I I will say that a lot of the films that I was you know seeing trailers for um, and that were being kind of marketed as the big prestige movies that were supposed to be winning Oscars this year that or that were really trying to win Oscars. Um, I, I think part of the reason why I didn't really view this as an Oscar season is because they all seemed so almost like like self, they just seemed like parodies of Oscar films because it, it it seemed like they had gotten to the point where they were just entirely about sentiment and entirely about sanctimony and 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 completely about patting themselves on the on the back for progress that honestly doesn't really seem like it's been made yet um it, it and that now seems I, I like I don't want to make this a political point but it just that just seems less relevant to this country now um you know i basically having films that are solely to console people about social progress just i i don't think that's gonna fly anymore i I think that we're like i think that the oscars are basically gonna be forced into a different landscape because the the identity politics that they've been playing it's not going to fix the fundamental issues that people are objecting to what uh, like it's it's I, we know this but i feel like we're at the point now where it's just being revealed uh, more and more to be just a disingenuous sham and the you know the sooner they recognize that the sooner that we can actually get to some you know and make films less about the basically make make fewer films about making rich white liberals feel good about themselves and <laughs> more films about more films about what life is actually like for people struggling in this fucking country i mean i can't tell you how mad it's made me and i'm i'm not going to expand on this i can't tell you how mad it's made me to see florence foster jenkins on oscar prediction lists i've seen it everywhere it's fucking bullshit and it would set back everything we're talking about a decade well (laughs) that's that's it i I, I, do you really think that'll work though i mean i just do do you think that'll do do you think it'll 
I, I don't know. That that seems like a long shot to me. Uh, well, well, I mean, look, the way I see it, the the way I see the movie, it wouldn't even be in the conversation. So yes, well, I, I see I, no. it as a long shot to say the least. But the movie was markedly well received and is showing up on legitimate prediction lists. Like not not just like our movies saying like, oh, I really like this movie because I saw ten movies this year. Okay. All right. <laughs> I guess. I, I guess we'll see. I I can't see it. I don't know. I I guess at this point, then we're at. I, I guess we're at a crossroads, and this is basically that duality of the Oscars that you were referring to, where like we're we're basically going to have to go down one of two paths, where the Oscars are either going to become completely irrelevant or gain a renewed sense of purpose. <laughs> Man, I wish I could have put it that way again. There you go again. Just, just. <laughs> I, I like. It. It. It's. It's. Shit's finally hitting the fan. It's. You know, because films are important cultural capital. They're not something that you can ignore. And since the Oscars are still our most prominent cultural arbiter of what constitutes quality cinema. Um, we, I mean, we can object to it all we want, but we do still have to look at it with some sense of authority to get a, just to get a, uh, a sense of the pulse of what the, you know, how the movie landscape views itself. That's, I mean, that, that's the thing. Like they definitely have their flaws, but they're kind of the only game in town. They're all we have for I, uh, a measurement I mean, of cinematic quality. I mean, anyone who's, anyone who's denying that, um, th- I mean, they're they're bitter and they they i mean if if it was true they wouldn't be talking about the oscars still that's the thing it's it, you don't have to like them i don't like them but to say that they don't have an important function within the culture is just to me just like that's nonsense um i i do think that we can like like i said we learn how hollywood views itself because it's entirely an insular endeavor so i'm actually i might be more interested in the oscar ceremony this year than i have been in a while because like i said you like actually like i keep saying like i said it's like you said (laughs) um you know this is this is basically where they're going to have to decide what they want to stand for and what kind of approach they want to take in the future. Um, and without spoiling my th- thoughts on m- m- uh, Moonlight too much, um, although I think I, I think it, I, this totally is spoiling my views on Moonlight, but I don't care. <laughs> Basically, Moonlight is standing on uh, standing at one of those paths, and Birth of a Nation is standing at another. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, those are two different, two definitely different sides of the same, the same coin. Those movies, where one is very much, it's the movie uh, that the Academy loves to give awards to, um, because it's so easy. It's a movie presented to you, lar- largely black cast, people of color, uh, cast creative minds behind it and uh, the 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 crux the the key here is that it's about race therefore 
movies about race are more palatable to white people. This may sound like a to to all the like white liberals. This may sound like it's really. I'm a white white liberal, so please don't take that as antagonistic. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, as am I, but I like. But I, I, I feel like pointing out a smug condescension with our own voting block is important in order to improve it. So, you know. yeah, no, I mean, it's it's surprising to hear that for for, uh, for from the white liberal perspective that that this movie that's about race is supposed to be more palatable to white people because it's sort of like calling out white people. But what it allows it to do, rather than rather than looking inward or anything like that, they could say, "Oh man." I'm really glad I'm not one of those terrible racists. Huh. I mean, look at them. They're just so <laughs> bad over there. Look at those racists. Man, yeah, it, it, not yeah, one of those people. <laughs> you can but, keep it comfortable because you don't have to reckon with the idea that this, that as, as much as they, you know, want to think that these, you know, that horrible human rights abuses don't still go on in the United States and that, you know, they've, you know, they've made all the change they want to see in the world. You know, it's, it, it, <laughs> they can keep, I, I always it's it's refreshing when a film basically confronts them with the fact that no, we still have a lot of work to do, and you can't be smug and self satisfied at this point. Well, and um, that's a movie like Thirteenth. Like that's I mean, exactly. let's, let's leave Moonlight out of the equation for now. Thirteenth it was that movie that sort of like rocked me to my core and made me really struggle with the idea that. Uh, not only is, is there still institutional, you know, racism out there that stacks a deck against African Americans, but in a way, I'm implicit in it. I'm allowing it to happen right now, mm-hmm. and and that's something that that a movie like Birth of a Nation didn't do. It just lets me pat myself on the back because I'm not one of those people who who hung Nat Turner. There was a great. Um... There was a great SNL sketch recently where uh, it, it was actually, I think, the first post-election one where Dave Chappelle and uh, Keaton were watching the election results come in with a bunch of their white liberal friends in New York. And, of course, they're all, you know, got Clinton banners and they're, you know, so, you know all excited until the results start coming in and they become just more and more aghast and, and sad and depressed. And, you know, they start being, you know, really scared. And they're just like... This is the most racist thing that our country has ever done, and and Dave Chappelle is just can just look at them and start laughing. They, it, it, basically the you know I'm I'm butchering the I'm butchering the sketch, but the whole point was like that, uh, you know that black people have had to face they've had to deal with institutional racism for a long time while white liberals were completely oblivious that it was even happening. Got to pretend it didn't exist. Well, and fuck, actually, John Stewart, I think it was John Stewart anyway, uh, pointed this out when people are, with people, you know, complain, obviously and rightfully upset about the appointment of Steve Bannon by Donald Trump. And he's like, forget an advisor we're talking the president of the united states at one point he called it calling out like richard nixon having direct ties to kkk organizations you know it's like this this was the most powerful man in the country not just someone he hired there's a there's a well-documented political strategy that entirely subsisted on appealing to white racists in the south yeah the southern strategy like i understand that this puts a new you know that there's like just a new face for bigotry and hatred in the country but the to pretend that like the country transformed itself overnight 
and that we're fundamentally a different nation now than we were a month ago, that is to be completely ignorant of what has continued to happen in this country over the last several decades. And and these are the sort these are the sort of things that good cinema needs to right point, exactly to point out or or not or or, simp- or not simply ignore you know um if yeah, you're so if you're gonna make a movie about it actually make it about it like don't give me the easy way out don't give me the the pat on the back that's i mean movies yeah, this is they have an important cultural role and when they don't take advantage of it it's a disservice yeah this is why i don't want to write this off as just talking politics during the movies because to pretend that movies don't have a political presence like uh, they don't have a uh, presence on the political stage is just nonsense. They do. They they reflect what's it, not just what's going on in the country, but how the country wants to see itself. So and now we have to choose how we want to see ourselves because we can't ignore it anymore. We can't uh, we can't we can't swipe it under the rug because there's nothing. There's no veil keeping it from us anymore. It's it's right in front of our faces. So yeah. Um, I, and that's, I think, you know, we're going to have to see that represented in some way at the Academy Awards coming up. I mean, for Christ's sake, look how much of a role Oscar So White played in the ceremony last year before any of this happened. Yeah. Um, oh, man. <laughs> you know, if there was President elect Trump back then. Whew. Yeah, yeah. But, but back when the biggest stakes for the Academy, not, not for Americans in general, but the Academy was that. Um, you know that they, they were potentially going to be viewed as racist. Yeah, no, that, that was that was their that was their biggest fear. They, yeah, that got them to react the way they did. So, what the fuck is this going to do to rich liberal Hollywood? Um, I, 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 I like I I keep using liberal as a derogatory when I myself identify as a liberal. So, I please I don't want that to be misunderstood. I, <laughs> I, it's, it's just important this, to look inward with critique, I, I, right? I feel like the, the I, I I keep using it because I feel like the stereotype of the smug Hollywood, you know, liberal with a lot of money who purports to care a lot about social issues but then never really involves themselves in a meaningful way. I feel like that's a common enough stereotype where it people, is, and that's really what we're tapping into. Yeah, I've yeah, said it too. I, I'm not said, I've said like, oh, like the the white liberal. It's like I'm a white I, liberal. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not insulting the political philosophy of liberalism. I am. I'm critiquing a lot of the people who purport to be practice to be pe- to be practicers of that political philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I mean, and we also see these things with like uh, with uh, Ava DuVernay and her her thirteenth documentary, and that you know you got to wonder what chance that really has uh, Academy wise. You know, again, I haven't seen a lot of press on thirteenth, and not to end also. Uh, females don't often get um, recognized for for direction, and I still think to this day not a single director for not a single director, white, black, male, or female, has been nominated for a documentary film. So mm-hmm. that's another hurdle that she would have to climb to even reach I, that. I, which, but at this I'm point, I think sure, it's greatly deserved. I'm not sure it, unless you were doing something with the technical innovation of like active killing which again did not get nominated um i feel like you would need to do something like that to have a chance at best uh director so i i'm not sure i would even hold my breath for for uh, for that in this regard not that it's not deserved in my opinion i completely agree with you but 
I, I feel like unless it's something formally experimental like that, uh, it, it, it's not going to be anything flashy enough to catch their attention. But the thing about 13th is like that film is going to age even better than it, it's going to age like fucking wine. It it is it belongs in a post Trump America like that's that's what it was made for. And I mean, it, well, I mean, not only it was made for I mean, America of the last 50 of the last 30 or 40 years where um we where criminal justice has just become you know one of the it has just grown in corruption and human rights abuses but man if if you don't think that that fits snugly into a post-trump world i got <laughs> i got some fucking news for you <laughs> yeah i mean I, I, I was about to say let's uh, like move on from from talking from this quasi well, we talking can, politics we, during the movie, but well, we can. It's going to come up again, so it is. But we can move on because I also think that Moonlight has a, a place in this conversation as well. Moonlight is very much a film of the War on Drugs era. Uh, yeah, I mean, I won't. I really, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I saw a lot of things in in this movie that I I had more understanding of and more context because I watched 13th and and you know yeah. understand all the, all the all the societal as you said the the war on drugs era that contributed to the this scenery that we're witnessing this story but I I want I want to also talk about uh A24 the the studio that we're mm-hmm. you know that we've lauded to high heavens several several occasions we almost waste no opportunity to do so on the show so um and what i what i really enjoyed about moonlight which is going to be the start of a wildly positive review uh, is that i don't smell studio influence within a city of this movie I, I and A twenty four is quickly becoming the best studio um, for you know for better or for worse letting directors make the movie they want to make and, and in and in this case a movie that is the exact the the exact remedy for the the true remedy for Oscars so white not just not just a let's nominate let's nominate black people but or or let's make a, let make a movie about the racial divide in our country, but a, a movie that is merely about uh, pe- people of color in this, as I said, this scenery of a racially divided nation and the, the symptoms that ha- the, has cropped up. But while all those things exist, at, at the core, that's not what the movie's about. And that is a movie that for years and years and years would never ever have seen a green light you know i mean at least not in in this in this prominent stage i mean you're always you're gonna get the movie about race or you're gonna get something like last year with like dope which was which was a pretty great movie dope was a movie about drugs made for white people i mean yeah it was a movie about drugs made for white people and it, it was it was under the veil of like this this sort of c- comedy, um, kind of like a almost a teen comedy, a la Ferris Bueller's <laughs> Day Off kind of thing. So, right, that's um, you know, and uh, so, b- 
Back to Moonlight, sorry. No, no, <laughs> as, no. as I said, this is this is a movie that is the precise remedy for, for Oscar So White. And, and not treating the symptoms, actually going after the core of the problems, which is greenlighting movies like this with unique direction about about interesting characters, with no studio presence saying we need to make this more topical, we need to make it more punchy. Let's, you know, uh, throw a joke in there or something like that. I, I don't know. Well, see... What may stand out for me, and and I, I agree with what you said, but what may stand out for me the most is its emphasis on personal identity, which, I, I mean, it seems like such a simple thing, but it's kind of incredible how much of a contrast that is with almost every single film coming out that's either trying to, you know, tr- trying a mass appeal to, uh, you know, the uh, the Academy voting block um or you know you know trying to address racial issues in america they make it about the about what x and x historical events or um (laughs) you know about i don't know putting they make it about a message or about some kind of sentiment that is really easy to digest but moonlight is a film that is it, it I mean, it's basically, it's it's basically boyhood, but with, uh, but focused on a lot of the uh, elements of growing up in a particular um, situation in America that people criticize boyhood for not focusing on because boyhood was very much about a you know heteronormative white male growing up with you know. It never had to worry about a home or you know anything like that. it was pretty a pretty standard upbringing for white suburbia um but that there's so many more interesting stories about kids who have to deal with poverty and sexuality and drug abuse and um you know being a being a person of color um and uh, moonlight basically tackles all of that but its fundamental premise is the same it's it's not about a um you know it, it's not about the war on drugs it exists in the same world as the war on drugs it it focuses on people affected by the war on drugs but it's not uh, its goal isn't to common its goal isn't to editorialize the uh you know the situation that these people find themselves in it the goal is to um basically just tell the story about this one person trying to you know form their own identity and take control over their perception of themselves over the course of three decades. Yeah, I mean, and if I was a slimy producer, this movie would be like, I, I, I would be drooling over it. I'm like, oh man, we could totally make this a movie about the struggle of being a black gay man. You know, that would be, that would be <laughs> the movie that would win awards and people would applaud me for it. And then, I, you know, it's just it's saturated in in social commentary with with zero depth whatsoever just whatever's easiest and it would be terrible it would be absolutely mm-hmm. terrible whereas yes these as you said these characters in here are uh in in the world post-war on drugs where you know people these are vastly affecting poor communities where they're just you know, empty slum buildings, you know, holes, and and then, you know, you have, because of that, a high incarceration rate that affects both of the main characters we follow, who, and yes, 
both of the main characters we follow are likely on some spectrum of homosexuality. I want to say I don't really want to pigeonhole them. Um, so and and that's something they have to explore. But it's not a, it's not about the struggle. It's about them. What what I enjoy about it is it's not. Um... It, yeah, it, it's not about the topic of homosexuality itself. It's about how difficult it is for these particular people to actually express their love and affection for one another uh, in this, you know, in the uh, situation they grow up in. And, and basically, you know, it, it prevents them from actually um, being able to define themselves in this world. And they basically have to take on a different persona. And that's that's just the way it is. There's not a there's not a moment in this film where it, you know, that that struggle is rebuked or belittled or uh, condescended to by basically, you know, having a character make a big dramatic speech that talks about how wrong or unjust that, you know, that mode of life is. It, it's it, it's a lot more genuine than that, and I, I think that's what I responded to um, above all in, in Moonlight. It, it's it's approach to, um, you know, tracking this this character's sense of who he is. And, and and actually one thing that occurred to me only after I watched the entire film, um, because the, the main character who, who we have not even named yet, um, who actually has three different names throughout the course of the film, <laughs> little, uh, Chiron and, uh, black in the third segment. Um, you know, all these identities that are basically forced upon him, uh, and that he has to kind of, you know, do, do with what he will. Um, like I learned by the end that we don't actually have a solid sense of who this person is. Um, and that's not intended as a criticism at all. Um, but it's kind of a, it's kind of an anti-character study because the film is more focused on every single bit of artifice or every, every, um, everything he uses to basically guard himself from the world. Um, including what is, I mean, referred to as on, uh, you know, in, sorry, including what is commonly referred to as fronts, but in this movie takes on a, a double meaning, you know, being grills, mm-hmm. the gold yeah, chief. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I had never actually heard grills referred to as fronts before, and I I wasn't sure if that was actually the term at all, if that was actually, like, something that people said, or if it just was symbolic, but it's it's both. It's And that was actually, yeah, that was brilliant. Um and and that's the thing, though. This is an entire film of fronts. Even the the poster reflect. You know, it, it's um, it's uh, oh oh my god, it's Sharon. Sorry, please cut out these stumbling. Um, it's just Sharon's face with three different you know colors of light projected on him, and each one of those colors of light reflects one of the three segments of the film that, you know, kind of document his, his childhood, his adolescence and his, you know, young adulthood. Um, and you know, each one, again, it's a different, it's a different projection on him. It's a different, it, it gives you a different peek at who this person you're looking at might actually be, but you never really get the whole picture. Um, and I, I love that the film leaves, I mean, the film ultimately leaves this open. You, you kind of have to piece together for yourself who you think this character actually is and or even if you know or even if he has really found out who he is it's it's kind of funny you in the, this film actually has a lot of you know little brilliant moments that point to 
his what his understanding of of identity in general, not just his own identity. And early, early on, when he's uh, found in a hole, um, not an actual hole, just an abandoned apartment, a hovel. But, yeah, by by one is a character's name, but he's played by the same person <coughs> who played um, Remy Denton in House of Cards. Is probably where you know know him the most. Um, well, it's his most popular role. So <laughs> I didn't mean to condescend. That is his most popular <laughs> yeah. role. Uh, and he tells him the story about how he was running around in the moonlight, and an old old woman called him Blue because that's how he looked. He looked blue under the moonlight. And uh, Chiron asks him, "So your your name is Blue?" And he's like, "No, that's not my name." <laughs> and it's, it's like, the sort of thing like his his perception of someone's identity was what was assigned to you by someone else, mm-hmm. and and one is kind of more self actualized at that point. He sort of like knows who he is and knows that he right. is not someone named Blue. So and that's something that throughout the course of the film. Uh, Chiron will have to sort of deal with. I mean, there's even an on-the-nose line. He's like, at some point in your life, you're going to have to de- decide what kind of man you're going to be or, or who, you, who you're going to be, well, something I, like that. I, I actually interpret it as, like, you had better... You had better find out who, you're, who you are, who you're going to be, because otherwise, if you don't assume that power for yourself, someone's going to do it for you. Yeah, no, that's definitely this, a reading of it. Um, and then, it, and then by the end, you're not really sure if he has. At least, I'm, I'm not... Yeah, yeah. At some point, you got yeah, the quote that Juan says is at some point you got to decide for yourself who you're going to be. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. Yeah, and, no. <laughs> and that's um, I mean that that's a theme we've seen a lot before, but I I've never, I don't know, I, I've never seen it, um, I've never seen it be under such rigorous focus as it is on Moonlight, and also uh, be presented so ambiguously because. Again, it's not giving us a concrete answer of who this character is. Um, it's not even giving us a concrete answer of um, you know what ultimately befalls his relationship with the only actual romantic uh, you know interest this you know we've ever seen uh, Chiron have throughout the entire film, and and that he admits is the only real, real relationship he's ever actually had. Um, yeah, I mean, and the the last last shot in the film is them embracing, but right, it's not. Right, it's ambiguous. It's ambiguous. It's not meant to say like, okay, they they they're back together, so to speak, and they're gonna they lived happily ever after, or 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 that they don't, or that they you know decided to go their separate ways. It doesn't say any of that. They're just they're just embracing, you know. And what, what does that sort of what does that mean? Is sort of up to interpretation, or it sort of just means as my interpretation is that. It, it hasn't been resolved yet. You know, at, at some point, you need to decide who you're going to be, but maybe he hasn't reached that point yet. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, I... Um, we haven't even talked about the uh, the technical aspects of this film, which are just fucking phenomenal. I, if... if uh, one snub I will be furious at this year... Uh, if if it does in fact get snubbed, is the cinematography for Moonlight, which I I think, unless I'm forgetting something very very you know uh, very dramatic, I cannot think of uh, another film that I would prefer over this one in terms of its uh, in terms of how expressively it uses its cinematography. Um, Moonlight. 
it, it, a lot of the film is shot in a really shallow focus, so it basically keeps the focus. You know, it, it keeps the uh, it, it keeps focus almost entirely on uh, the person close to the camera in the center of the frame, which is usually Sharon. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, several you've seen it in several other films, even though people are kind of like Son of Saul almost. People are offset of Son of Saul. Well, that's a different different beast entirely. Um, well, but, I know, it's a similar technique though. It's true, yeah, and, and but I mean, it's, it's definitely something easy to do. The opposite, where if people are at different depths, you can you can focus the camera in a way that shows both of them relatively clearly. But when when they don't, it's definitely a choice. You know, it's not it's not it's not that they just had a bad cinematographer or anything. Oh no, it's like because it, it's not like a, a lot of it is a bit more loose. It's handheld, um, but. I don't know. I feel like almost every shot was had some sort of deliberate element in it that made it um, that that made it hit home. Like a lot of the scenes where like there'll be boys playing on a, a soccer field or whatnot, there there'll be people running past the camera, and it'll be very disorienting because they keep the shallow focus and everything's kind of just whizzing past, and you have to kind of you know fix your eyes to to orient yourself, and it's all just incredibly. Um, it's intimidating, and it actually does a really effective job of kind of portraying how uh, how Sharon sees his environment, how he sees the people around him, what he sees his relationship to them a, as being. Um, <clears throat> and and also just even the the way it's shot. There's like I don't know, kind of a um, there's a expressive element to a lot of the uh camera movements like um in a later scene actually my favorite scene of the entire film which is the the uh, prolonged sequence of the diner at the end the camera yeah. will um b- before the two characters in that scene meet the camera will focus on on chiron and then it'll kind of drift away um and you know focus on the care um uh Kev- kevin who's the character that he's there ultimately to see but it'll keep them out of the frame together. It'll never show them at the same time. And it'll just wander around, follow Kevin for a bit until he comes back into the frame where uh, Chiron's sitting and then it's finally showing them together. And then the camera will just stay put until they finally see each other. And I, I don't know, it's, it's it's just simple things like that. There's even one shot where the camera, it, it looks like a typical side shot of the car, but then someone opens the door of the car and you realize that the camera's actually mounted on the on the windowsill of the car it gives it almost a new wave vibe even though it's like a highly personal very serious film um there's also like just kind of the sense of being formally innovative and 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 you know using innovative camera techniques also um the i mean the the color scheme of the film is just fucking gorgeous and i think generally they um they, they use the the uh, the color scheme of green, green, red, and blue to, you know, portray the different periods of his life um, with each color representing a different, a, a, a different section of the film. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm ranting yeah. a little bit here, but I was just. No, very- it's fine. I mean, I, I may be, we may be sort of falling into a, a pattern here, but um, because thematically, the our our number one film of last year was also about finding one's identity, <laughs> um, being Phoenix. So uh, then mm-hmm. we're praising yes. this to high heavens. D- d- is 
is sort of I, well, I think telling and, is the right word, but it's also that well, this, these the themes film. are so enduring and can be applied with with a, a broad brush, so to speak. Well, and think uh, about the film the year before. Boyhood was, I mean, probably my favorite film of 2014, and I still hold. I think Moonlight is basically Boyhood, but with every single like with every single element that critics of boyhood said that the link later film was missing, you know, focused on a, you know, a less conventional upbringing in America and, you know, taking a more interesting and artistic approach to its cinematography. You know, it's, it, 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 but ultimately I think the mission statement of both those films is essentially the same. So uh, yeah, this seems to be kind of the general, theme of films that we gravitate towards in <laughs> in modern cinema but, but with also with the added uh the subtext of um you know basically what it is to be black in america yeah and, and that's the thing like i was so impressed with how they were able to use this as a scenery as a backdrop without bringing those things to the forefront and making it this is what this movie is about um and because they because they didn't do that, they were actually able to craft a much more interesting story. And not that that part isn't serious. See our review of Thirteenth. See the movie Thirteenth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I recognize the importance of that. But what what I got here is a great. Well, actually, I, you know, I think I'm going to steal a great steal something you said. A great anti character study. I think that was probably the most apt description for it i mean i think about the, the my favorite well i mean my favorite character study and maybe maybe you won't share this opinion i'm just going to ask you what do you think is what's what's your favorite character study in the last decade oh well, the last decade yeah uh, uh, there will be blood thank you all right <laughs> um and and even even in that i mean that it's definitely my favorite character study but i i have trouble care I have trouble categorizing it, categorizing Moonlight in the same play, in the same way as a character study because I, you, everyone, after seeing There Will Be Blood, can make a really solid argument for who they think Daniel Plainview is. I mean, you're sort of you're given all the pieces right in front of you. It's and yes, there is a, a variety of interpretation going on between his motivations for for uh, taking care uh, of HW and so on but you you will have a a solid argument for here i'm getting a a character who's desperately throughout the entire movie trying to find out who he is and i i, I don't think in the same way that there is in there will be blood uh, that there are enough pieces to make that solid argument to make a case for who Chiron is other than someone <laughs> trying to find the answer to that question also well yeah i think like there will be blood a film like there will be blood is very like you said it's very much a character study um moonlight is a person it's it's not a study of character it's a study of persona it's uh, in like you know you can and through that, you get a sense of the person beneath it. But again, it's all it, it's all an impression, like it, like the theme of the moonlight reflecting on a, a person to you know to make them appear blue. You know, you get 
you can see the person underneath it, but they're always colored by something. They're always putting up, there's always something that's affecting the way that they're perceived by other people. That's contrary to who they actually are. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that veil is never lifted entirely in moonlight, but we get glimpses of the person beneath it. Um, and yeah, the, the power of where we, the, the power of where the film leaves us is with the uncertainty of, of who the actual person beneath all those facades is and whether or not that person will be able to fully manifest after the events of the film transpire, which again, have no concrete answer. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's fundamentally what distinguishes it from a more conventional character study where the whole point is just to, you know, it, you know, to, to dig deep into this character, you know, and find out every, you know, everything about them, get their motivation, get their, you know, arc and, and really, um, you know, you know, ugh, ugh, sorry. That. Well, I mean, I mean, it's even anti, uh, anti Phoenix in a way from last year because, mm-hmm. in, you know, our favorite film of last year was a, a character study uh, of Nellie. Wasn't her name Nellie? Her name was Nellie. Yes. Yeah. Where, where you still have this char- similar to Moonlight, you have this character who is trying to determine who she wants to be at the pivotal moment in her life but at the end of the movie makes that decision and we we're sort of aware of as the uh, as the audience of what decision she made I would so actually, that's another little point of contrast with moonlight in that the the arc may be the same for the most of the movie but it doesn't end in the same place i would actually argue that she never is really in doubt of who she wants to i mean she has an identity formed for herself very actually maybe one of the most well-defined senses of personal uh, identification of any character in any film I've ever seen. She knows exactly who she wants to be. She wants to be the, uh, she wants to be the, the person that she saw herself as before the war and before life as she knew it was basically torn asunder. And she wants to basically erase every traumatic thing that happened to her through assuming this archaic identity of hers. Um, and she is willing to commit to that lie. It's 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 fundamentally a lie, but she knows, it, you know, she takes charge. She knows which, uh, she knows what version of herself she wants to be. Um, whereas I, I don't think I can ever really say that for uh, Chiron and Moonlight. Man, I love Phoenix. Me too. Me too. Oh my god. I mean, honestly, identity though is such a good. It's such a cinematic. I mean, even something like Carol, which is so much about um, visual perception, uh, contrasting with what you know is actually going on, uh, you know, within the minds of its characters. You know, it's there's just, I don't know. There's something that can be expressed about it. There's something that cinema can express about it so elegantly that I'm I'm just a fucking sucker for it. Uh, no, it's no coincidence <laughs> that. This theme keeps recurring in all my favorite films because I think that it's just it lends itself the best to the cinema because cinema is not a good explainer. Cinema is not good at, um, you know, giving you a complete rundown, a blueprint of characters. It's really good at showing you situations. It's good at, um, you know, looking 
looking in on something from an objective vantage and you know the, it, it it can allow you it can give you the mechanisms to read into that situation but the fact is you're still observing it from a, an objective point of view um so it, something about the that theme of of identity and and you know uh you know a contrast between appearance and reality that's just i don't know it it coheres very well with what cinema in my opinion is best at expressing <laughs> I, I will say i will say at, at this point and i may come down from this high on this movie but i don't foresee it if this isn't in, in the criterion collection in a couple of years from now, then then down with that whole organization. I actually I actually thought about that too. This is this seems like all ready to go. <laughs> like we're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Um, also, I, I I just really before I forget to to just point out, I think I I I've mentioned how much I loved it, but the the diner scene at the end of Moonlight is to me where this film was elevated into being a masterpiece it's it's definitely one of the strongest i mean probably the strongest scene in the movie it's just one of my favorite culminating moments of any film i've ever seen and i don't know if i've ever i can't think right now of 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 this like um, like quiet emotional climactic scene that is more well earned or that has more I, i don't know i just felt like i had seemed as kids entire life it, it, it was kind of a similar this is why i keep bringing up boyhood because i, I kind of had a similar feeling uh to um that scene with uh the scene with Eller coltrane and patricia arquette when he's going off to college at the end of boyhood um where you know the, just the the weight of everything that came before just kind of hits you like a train mm. and that this scene did the exact same thing for me, except instead of being prolonged over a course of thirty seconds, it pretty much sustained itself for, you know, ten ten minutes or however long that scene actually lasts. Um, you know, it, and from everything from the way it's shot to the the framing to the the wistful music choices that are not so subtly commenting on the, you know, the the characters in the scene. Um, I don't know something about the. The atmosphere of that just just broke my fucking heart. I, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm speechless about it, man. It's it's even though I keep, can't shut up about it, I'm speechless and I can't shut up. That's, and I, and I, I gotta say too, there are some top notch performances in this movie. There's not a there's not a bad performance. Anyway. There's not a bad performance. My only the the only thing I think will emphasize will not should get any attention and i don't even know if will will actually happen but is is uh, naomi harris naomi harris because she has the and and she pulls i mean she pulls off drug addicted mother brilliantly but because she has that crux of drug addicted mother um, yeah i mean and more, <laughs> more so than just that i mean practicality practicality comes into play because she's the only person I mean, besides uh, the guy from House of Cards, and I keep calling him the guy from House of Cards because I can't pronounce his name. Uh-huh. 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 So I, I apologize. The person who plays Remy Denton in House of Cards, uh, they're the only two people who play their characters throughout the entire movie. You know, as Chiron and Kevin are 
you know, they're aging, so they're played by three different actors each. So mm-hmm. they, they don't have as much screen time, whereas Naomi Harris is is Paula, is Chiron's mom the entire movie. So, I, I, you know, I think if there's a performance that's going to come out of it, it's Naomi Harris, and it's well-deserved. I I mean, it, you have to understand, that this is also a film with a, a large number of child actors, and not a, one of them is bad. No, not, not a single one. They're so good. That never happens. Man, the, with, with Little, uh, Little version, I feel like I'm talking to them like they're different versions of like Majin Buu well, or something like that from well, Dragon Ball Z. But well, see, when he, go, when he becomes Super Chiron, <laughs> um, well, well, the, no, no, no. The thing is, they're even credited, though, as uh, Little uh, for the, the, you know, the youngest. Yeah, they actually are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Chiron for his middle, you know, his his high school days, and then uh, Black for when he's featured. actually an adult. Yeah. But man, the, the scene with I think it's maybe the last scene with Little, to be honest, when he's uh, confronting Juan about his uh, about his role in his mother's drug addiction. He says, "You know, my mom does drugs. Yeah, you sell drugs." Oh God! I'm out of here. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> he just, he asks him. He's like, you know, do you did you sell? drugs to my mom and he, and says, he just starts yeah. crying oh my like that uh not 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 the kid um, not little little actually just uh, like walks out and he just walks out um and, oh my god yeah I yeah the, how powerful that scene was it's it's really that that's why when you were saying that the diner scene was really powerful i was like ah, but i remember that scene and that's also really good i i um <laughs> No, I, I I feel embarrassed for not bringing it up. The Dyer scene's still my favorite, though. I can't. And, I, and that's totally fine. I honestly I haven't even figured yeah. out what's my favorite, but those two are definitely standing out to me. I agree. Um, I also I don't know little touches too. Like um, there's a scene when in the third segment when he's an adult and he's he's visiting his mother, and you're not really sure where they are. Um, but you pick up at first, at least. But then you—it's not her house. And then you pick up from context clues, both both from, you know, little bits of dialogue, and also from the fact that he's wearing a visitor's badge that's not in focus. Mm-hmm. That she's in basically a, a half, or she's basically in a recovery house for for drug addiction, and she's not. She's staying there past uh, you know, the, the time she needs to uh, in order to help out other people. So you kind of get a sense of where her life is. But all of this stuff is provided through context. It's not, it, you know, I, I, this is a small point, but I, I love that they're not tr- treating you like you're stupid. They're not condescending. It, 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 it reflects their approach to the, uh, the larger themes of, you know, how difficult it is to form a personal identity, you know, growing up in this environment. Um, it, it, you know, the, the the fact that they communicate that environment to you entirely through um, entirely through implication and context, and not just beating you over the head and explaining it to you. It, it I, I, I don't know. I'm to me, they they go in, they go hand in hand. It, it's just a, it's an approach that this film takes that I really respect. I mean, look, I, I'm struggling at this point to find a a part of this film that I don't respect. Um, no, <laughs> I, mean, they, I it's, such, it's a great attention to detail across the board. And that detail stems from, I mean, that detail is shown in the technical aspects of the film as well, as well as the, well, the performance aspects and the characters themselves. I mean, there's, 
it's hard not to find something it's hard it was well, hard to find i shouldn't frame that in the negative i'm so <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to but find something you just find that isn't worthy of praise we're, we're critics we're supposed to hate everything can you just find something uh um oh i i do have something naomi harris is also the person who delivers a line about collateral beauty in collateral beauty <laughs> oh my god i will i'm so mad about that that i will actually hold that against her <laughs> collateral beauty <laughs> oh my god there we go <laughs> i'm back to it um I, I i will say i wish janelle monet was in more of this movie she plays um teresa uh, teresa yes mm-hmm. um and she was great she was in yeah she's only in two of the three stories and, and in the second one i think she only has one scene um but man, I, I don't know. There was just something about that alternate maternal presence that clashes so much with its actual biological mother. To me, I, I, I kind of, I kind of wanted to see, um, you know, what their relationship would be later on in his life, even as an adult. But you know, and unfortunately, that that relationship seems to have been severed by that point. So, I mean, it's uh, great it, to me too because I hadn't heard of this person. At all. I mean, I guess she mostly does music, but... You haven't heard of Jen... Oh, man, I'm actually... A, at least not by name. I mean, I may have heard of one of... I may have heard one of her songs, but... I'm uh, a, I, I'm... I mean... Yeah, I was a moderate fan of hers before I, I saw this, so... Um, yeah, no, I hadn't heard of her at all. It's just... And I guess she hasn't done much acting. She's done a little bit. No, although she, she isn't in She crushed herself. it. I mean, with what she had, as you said, you know, she didn't have enough but uh, with what she had she she nailed it yeah i just I, I was really enjoying her character and i just remember being surprised when she wasn't showing up again and i yeah i wasn't sure if she ever would and yeah i don't know I, it this is this is not a flaw this is a lack of something that i enjoy this is not enough of something i enjoyed um so yeah, Jesus, we haven't really talked about the director either because the director is not someone I've ever heard of before this film, and I don't know any of his other films. Um, the only, I think, the only other feature he's made is called Medicine for Mel- Melancholy, which, again, I know nothing about. Uh, but he made it about eight years ago, so um, yeah, I, I don't know if this will cause a uh, a a surge in his career, but I can only hope so. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a this is a great film to have under your belt, let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> uh, and as we already said, it's going to be really interesting to see how what the Academy does with this. If it just gives it a nomination and then without serious con- serious consideration for the actual award and then throws it under, you know, throws it to the, to the side for something more saccharine or, or more on the nose like Birth of a Nation or, or God for fucking bid something like Florence Foster Jenkins, uh, that will be quite the development. So so I can at least make a prediction. And I... So here's the thing. We, we talked about the two different paths that the Oscars could take, that they're basically forced to make this decision uh if basically to make their own uh to basically face their own crisis of identity 
and and define who they want to be. Um, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, we're and, fucking meta right now. <laughs> I know. And the thing is, I think Moonlight presents them the perfect opportunity to make the right choice. Do which, the right which, thing. Which, uh, <laughs> they di- which, yeah, this is this is them making amends for 1989. <laughs> Driving Miss Fucking Daisy. Are you fucking kidding? Um, no, I, Foster Jenkins is seriously like, uh, like at least a dozen times worse than the Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, I mean, Driving Miss Daisy isn't in and of itself that bad, but the fact that. <laughs> It's 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 all about context. The fact that they went for that over do the right thing is emblematic of exactly what we were talking about. <laughs> so, my prediction is, I think they'll make the right decision because I think that they don't have an easy out. My man, it's true. At this point, they really don't have an easy out. They don't. Way too controversial, and honestly, didn't do that well critically or, or commercially everything's too controversial or too way too on the nose self-parody oscar bait crap you know it's it's like like it's either birth of a nation or collateral beauty as far as i'm concerned the choice has been made incredibly easy for them and they can you know either award films that actually matter and have some tangential thing to do with reality or they can go 10 meters further up their own assholes and you know pat themselves on the back for awarding you know birth of a nation or or whatever the fuck i i just i don't see them being that unself-aware and and for you know passing up such an opportunity to really uh, uh, to draw attention to film to a film that actually fucking matters. The, yeah, I mean, the, the only, the only the alternative would have to be some sort of crowd pleaser. Um, something guess. like I, I hesitate to call Hacksaw Ridge a crowd pleaser because that was just horrifying. Um, but you know, something <laughs> prestige like that that a lot of people want to see, or, I, or like a rival, maybe. Um, that's the only real alternative I could see to this at this point. This season is young because there's, of course, as we've mm-hmm. already articulated, things like Silence, Manchester by the Sea. Um, there, there are big contenders. Right now, this is the major one that we've seen. So, and I, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, like even something like La La Land, uh, which. From everything I've heard, is is phenomenal, but it's, yeah, I mean, it definitely could be the genuine article, but yeah, but it seems like it's first and foremost, if it was awarded, it would be awarded because of its artifice, rather than you know, that thing is Moonlight strips almost everything else away, except the killer sense of visual composition and cinematography, but um, it strips everything else away and just makes it about a person, which is not nearly as sexy, but it's also it's also probably more important now to to emphasize individual personhood, you know, at a time when I feel like it's really easy to generalize. What whatever side you're on, it's very easy to generalize uh, entire populations of people and entire demographics into these easily digestible, you know, pieces of information, and 
Moonlight resists the temptation to do that every step of the way. And I feel very strongly that, you know, that kind of humanism needs to be rewarded in the modern cinematic landscape because that's just that that's the direction we need to go in for fuck's sake for the, for some peace of mind that's the direction we need to go in we need to we need to um we need to invest in a, a humanistic cinema for the future i'm right there with you man we need, let's let's lead a movement uh yeah I am tired of the top 99% of Oscar movies only containing 1% of the cinematic quality. Thank you. (laughs) Bernie Sanders is one of the most fun people to imitate. I wish I could do it. I just can't. Oh, come on. You can't just do Larry David. (laughs) Uh, I'll try it someday. Maybe I'll bring it up on air. Uh, in in the meantime, we've already said what we're gonna do next week. We're gonna we're gonna do arrival. Um, I think arrival, yeah. That's and if there's some other thing we want to talk about and get the opportunity to see, we will. Uh, but as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>